the way, the truth, and the life. I like that part in the songs, all my fears and doubts, they can't stay. They got to go. So if he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life, then our fears and doubts, they got to get out of here. And the song is that he is the way, he's not a way. He's the way, singular. He is the truth. He is the life, singular, singular, singular. Rome. It's a place that most of us have never been. Rome. In many ways, it became the focal point of Christianity. As Jerusalem was the focal point to the Jewish world, the Apostle Paul will be moved to Rome, and from Rome, the church will begin its most major expansion to the world. Rome. The book of Acts will actually end with the Apostle Paul in Rome. That's how this story ends. Today is session number 37. Yes, I have preached 37 sermons through the book of Acts. Today we'll open up the next to the last chapter, Acts chapter 27. Now I'll give you a heads up, there will be two more. There'll be 39 in total to this marvelous book, the Acts of the Apostles, two more Sundays. Today, Paul is going to begin his 2,500-mile journey from Caesarea to Rome. An all-expense-paid trip to Rome, but he's a prisoner. I had the privilege just a couple weeks ago to be in Caesarea, to actually be in the town that Paul was a prisoner for two years, to see the place where he stood trial before Governor Festus, before Governor Felix, before King Agrippa and all the people who came. For two years, Paul was a prisoner in Caesarea. But when we open chapter 27 today, his two years of prison is up. He's appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. He's going to board a ship and he's heading for Rome. Why Rome? You've got to ask the question, why Rome? Where else would the apostle to the Gentiles go but to the seat of Gentile authority in the world? Rome ruled the earth at that time. Caesar was the man at that time, the world's superpower. And God is going to put his apostle in front of Caesar. Who's doing this? Who's doing this anyway? You see, it would be easy to overlook the journey and focus too much on the destination. In fact, most men struggle with that sentence. Let me prove it to you. When you guys schedule a trip, maybe with your family, you're going to go to Florida, you're going to go to Tennessee, you're going to go somewhere and travel. Do you ever notice none of us ever go north? <laughs> Interesting. It just hit me. And we plan to go on a trip somewhere. We, us guys, I'll tell you what I do. I plan on how my direct route. I'm going to go there. I can tell you how much it's going to cost for gas and where we're going to go. I got it all mapped out. And I'm planning on the destination. But my wife, she's planning on the journey. She, she, what to me would be a 12-hour 
misery in a car to the destination. She wants to experience the journey. And if he, she had her way, that journey that could be 12 hours could be two days. Because <laughs> we just think differently. And I give the women the credit. It would be to our advantage most of the time in life to experience the journey, not just the destination. Paul has spent two years in jail in a place called Caesarea. And those two years, listen, this is really important. They're part of the journey. It's not just about the destination. It's not about just something that's going to happen at the end of something. The journey in many times, in many ways, is as important as the next destination. Because what I realized is that while Paul was on his journey, two years in a Caesarea jail, how many hundreds, perhaps thousands of people did he tell about Jesus? People that would have never known the gospel of Christ had God not put him on that journey in that place at that time. Don't overlook the power of the journey on your way to the destination. Sometimes the people you meet along the journey are as important as the next destination. We open up chapter 27 today and God brings a new person into the story of Paul. And he reveals another person that's traveling with Paul, been with him for a while. The first guy I want to introduce to you today is the Roman officer. I'll refer to him today as Captain Julius. He's going to be Paul's escort from Caesarea on a 2,500-mile journey to Rome. The second guy is a guy named Aristarchus. He's a traveling partner of Paul and has been with Paul for some time from Macedonia. Aristarchus, if you go back and find when he first shows up with Paul, he's the guy in Ephesus when they seized Paul, when they see, they couldn't find Paul, so they seized the next guy connected to Paul, happened to be Aristarchus, when they were arguing about Artemis, the god of the Ephesians. It looks like, I can't be sure, but it looks like Aristarchus has attached himself to Paul even during the two years in the Caesarea prison. It looks like Aristarchus is there and also to the very end. He is listed as a fellow prisoner with Paul in Rome in the New Testament. In fact, tradition tradition, not in the Bible, says Aristarchus was martyred for his faith, like Paul, at the hand of Emperor Nero. I wonder, as they start this 2,500-mile journey together, does Aristarchus know that he's traveling with Paul to Rome to die? You're going to go there and die. Why? Why are you going to die? Same reason Paul's going to die, because you're a follower of Christ. You see, God has written these two men into his story. Captain Julius and Aristarchus. Now listen, they are two Gentiles. They're not Jewish. They're traveling with a Jewish guy named Paul, two Gentiles who will encounter the apostle to the Gentiles. 
to Gentiles who are going to attach themselves to the apostle, to the Gentiles, Paul. God has attached these two men to Paul. It's not a coincidence. It's part of the journey. Who's in charge here anyway? God is going to give Captain Julius. Let's start the story with something I find remarkable. God is going to do something to Captain Julius. Now, now he does this quite often. I don't know how he does it, but it's interesting to me that he does it. I've illustrated it with some humor in the past like this, that God does, and suddenly a person is favorably disposed toward another person. God is going to, that's a Star Wars thing in case you're wondering. He's going to do that to Captain Julius, and Captain Julius is suddenly, now Captain Julius, he's a Roman officer, and he's got to get this prisoner to Caesar. This is a big deal. He's sent by King Agrippa. Okay, this is a big deal. You mess this job up, you're going to be the prisoner. And yet, he gives favor to a prisoner. Now, now, the reason I bring that up is to prove to you that this journey that Paul's on, he is not alone. It's God's journey. Paul's going along with God. God's going to put him in front of Caesar. Now, I want to illustrate it in two ways. This is not new that God does this favor thing. Do you remember when Daniel was a prisoner? And he's taken as a slave to Babylon when Jerusalem falls. And it says that the man in charge of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, that God made him favorably disposed to Daniel. That God just, and then this guy, I like you, Daniel. Maybe I didn't like you yesterday, but I like you today. But the biggest one of all, the biggest one of all, at least in my book, is when the Israelites are in Egypt. 400 years, they've been in slaves in Egypt. Egypt is rich, and Israel are slaves and poor. Here comes Moses, let my people go. Finally, after all the plagues and all the stuff, Pharaoh says, take them and leave. And guess what happened? God did this to the nation of Egypt. It's a longer one. One individual is a whole bunch of you. And you know what they did? You know what they did? Blows my mind. The Egyptians, the Bible says the Egyptians took their wealth, their gold and their silver, and handed it to the Israelites as they walked out of Egypt. Do you ever wonder how they made all those articles of gold in the wilderness? The, the, the gold over the, the Ark of the Covenant. Where'd they get gold? They're slaves. They're in the wilderness. The Egyptians handed it to them as they left. Well, here's the Apostle Paul. He's getting on a boat with Captain Julius, and God gives him favor. Who's in charge here anyway? Verse 3 of chapter 27. The next day when we docked at Sidon, Captain Julius, I'll call him, was very kind. He was very kind to Paul, and he let him go ashore to visit with his friends so that they, his friends, Paul's friends, could provide for his needs. He didn't have to do that. God is with Paul on the journey. Now, I, I got to tell you, I find great comfort in that. Do you? I, I'm wondering. I'm looking across the room today. Do you know how important that is? You see, I, I, I get great comfort in that because I know that I'm also on a journey. And you're on a journey. And God gives us his favor on the journey. Even when we think that 
that surely he can't be here in the midst of this. He shows up and he not only, he makes people like you that probably wouldn't like you. And he makes people do things good to you that they would never do good for you. I'm not going to go through all the details of the trip today. It would take too long. I'm going to hit the highlights. Paul boards this ship in Caesarea as a prisoner. He's in chains, but it won't take long until he is the ship's captain. Who's doing this? This is the remarkable part of the journey. When God works his upper story plan into our lower story lives, before we get into the final journey of Paul to Rome, where the book of Acts will end, you must come to grips with a specific writing of Paul. If I don't do this, you're never going to understand what happens on the trip. So I want to hold in the book of Acts. I want to go to Romans chapter 8, and I want you to understand what Paul writes to the church at Rome. Romans 8, 28. Here's what he says. We know, I hope you know, and we know that God causes everything. Say everything. Yes. Say everything. Yes. We know, right? We know that God causes everything to work together for the good, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. You know what that means? Peace. Peace between me and God. He chose them, called them, and gave us right standing with him. I'm at peace with God. God's at peace with me. Having given them right standing. Here he comes. Here he comes. He gave them something. At the end of all of that, God does something. He gives something. He gave them his glory. Now I'll come back in a minute to what that means. He gave them something. Right standing with him. And then he gave them something. His glory. Who's doing this anyway? Who's in charge of this journey, Paul's own to Rome? Who's in charge of my journey right now? I'm on a journey. You're on a journey. Everybody's on a journey. We're all going somewhere. Paul is on a ship headed for Rome, the center of Gentile power and authority in the known world at that time. Let's pick up his journey in verse 8. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Haven near the town of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Now here's a prisoner talking to the officers of a ship. And I want you to understand, there are 276 people on this ship. So Paul talks to them. And here's what he says, verse 10. Men, Paul said, I believe there's trouble ahead. Now, are you going to listen to a prisoner on board in chains? I believe there's trouble ahead. If we go on, shipwreck, loss of cargo, 
danger to our lives as well. But the officers, the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owners more than Paul. Who cares what a prisoner thinks anyway? The prisoner says, I believe there's trouble ahead. I can feel it. Something's wrong. They're not listening to Paul. Not yet. But they will. He knows something. Now, I don't know how much he knows at this particular point, but he knows something. He's experiencing something inside of him. Trouble's coming. Why? Why are they not listening? Why should they be listening? I can tell you why they should be listening, because he is one of God's chosen. And God chose him, and God gave him something. Everybody listen. I read it to you a minute ago. I'm going to read it again. He's been called by God, and he's been made in right relationship with God, at peace with God. And then God gave him something. I want to read it again, verse 30. And having chosen him, Paul, in this case, he called Paul to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them something. You've got to understand what he gives them. Glory. What is it? Did you get yours? Glory. Do you know what it is? The Holy Spirit himself. Glory. The reason Paul says, I see trouble ahead, is because Paul has received the glory. The Spirit, listen, the Spirit of Jesus Christ resides in Paul's heart. Now, the question is, what does that do when the Spirit comes inside of you? Now, now, if you think that verse 30 only applies to apostles 2,000 years ago, you're missing the whole story. Having chosen them, he called them to join him. He's chosen us. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gives them their gl the glory. What does it mean? Paul is full of the Holy Spirit. He is full of the glory. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does? Not just 2,000 years ago on a boat to Rome. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does today? I'm going to tell you, Jesus describes the work of the Holy Spirit. The glory that comes inside of those who have a right relationship with God who have made peace with God through the blood of Christ. Here we go. John 16, 13, direct from Jesus Christ. What about the glory? What happens? When the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you. He's a person, not a thing, not an it. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but He will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. What? He, the Holy Spirit, the glory inside of our human flesh, will tell us about the future. He will bring me, Jesus says, he'll bring me glory. The Spirit will bring glory to Christ. How? By telling you whatever he receives from me. 
And all that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Do you ever wonder? Do you ever wonder why this same Apostle Paul on that boat that day, who says, there's trouble coming. I see there's a shipwreck ahead. There's a storm out there. Do you ever wonder why this same Apostle Paul writes a church called Thessalonica and he told them that Jesus was going to return one day and here's what he says he's going to return one day but it'll be like a thief in the night why bring that up if it's going to be like a thief in the night that sneaks up on you and catches you off guard why bring it up just makes you nervous if it's going to be like that because he said something else but he won't be a thief in the night to the called, to the chosen. Are you hearing me? Because there's a group of people, well, Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night, but he won't be a thief in the night to the called and the chosen because they've got the glory. And the glory reveals the future and shows you that which is to come and reveals truth. Not to those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me read it to you. It's really important as we enter this storm at sea. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. The Apostle Paul says, now concerning how and when all this will happen. If you read the previous verses, he's specifically talking about Jesus' return. Concerning the how and the when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you, for you know quite well, you know, don't you, that the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, in an instant, a split second, unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying, everything is peaceful, everything is secure, all is well, and then disaster will fall. It'll fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. She doesn't know, and then all of a sudden, it's here. It's here. And there, listen, listen, church, this thief in the night moment, and there will be no escape. You know why? It's too late. There's no recovery. It's a thief in the night. You got caught off guard. And then he does something. And then this guy on a ship at sea who says, there's a storm coming. What does he know? He's got the glory. He's got the Holy Spirit. Look at the next verse, verse 4, about this thief in the night coming. But you aren't in the dark about these things. You know he's going to come like a thief in the night, but not to you. You aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. You won't. Why? For you are children of the light. You're children of the day. We don't belong to the darkness. We belong to the day. You know what? People in the day, people in the light can see what the people in the darkness can't see. Why? Because they're in the darkness. Paul's in the light. And he looks at the ship's captain and says, I see trouble. And he looks at the church of Thessalonica. And many of the people, most of the people are going to be in the dark. And Jesus will come like a thief in the night. But you don't have to worry about it. He's not going to catch you off guard. 
something inside of you, that glory, that glory inside of you is going to give you, you don't know the day, you won't know the hour, but you'll know the season. Yes, you will. Something inside of you is going to tell you something's coming, something's coming. Children of the day, children of the light see things on their journey that others can't see. It's not new. It's been like this since the Holy Spirit came. It's not new. Paul can see things because of the Holy Spirit. Paul can see things because of the glory. The captain can't see it. Captain Julius can't see it. The journey. Listen, listen, folks. The journey is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The journey, my journey, is under the operation of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I don't belong to myself. I belong to Him. I am under the direction of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ today, you are under the direction, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And He already knows the future. I know who's in charge of my journey. Do you? I know who's in charge of my destination. Do you? See, I'm convinced that I was chosen for a purpose, that I am standing here today in this place by God's design on a journey that he describes. He called the people on the ship with Paul. They don't know it yet, but they're about to. Next verse, verse 13. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. Now, by the way, Paul has said, don't do it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore, close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster caught the ship and blew it out to sea. What a helpless feeling that must be. They couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run into the gale. Here we go. Nothing you can do. Would this be a good time for the Apostle Paul to stand up and say, I told you so. <laughs> Come on, it'd be tempting, wouldn't it? I told you. I feel like Paul's credibility just increased in the eyes of his traveling companions. It gets worse. Verse 16. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cauda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sardis off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, a gale force winds... As gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until, until I want you to read this two words, say it out loud, until all hope's gone. These are sailors. They know what it's like to be on the sea. 
They've thrown over the cargo. They've thrown over ship's equipment until all hope is gone. They've thrown thrown overboard everything. All seems lost. All hope of survival is gone. Now, I got to tell you, let's pause on the story. I got to tell you that I have found that God does his greatest work in this particular scene. It's when, it's when you can't see how this is going to work out. I don't see any way we're going to get out of this one, honey. That's when God does his greatest work in our moments of hopelessness. Because why? Here's, what, here's my experience, individually and also in the church. That's when people pay attention. You know, when things are going good and all the clouds, there's got blue sky and this boat and your journey is sailing along just fine and you're watching the nice scenery, people don't listen very good. But you let all hope be gone. And suddenly people pay attention And that's when people reach out to a power beyond themselves because they recognize in that moment, this is bigger than me. I can't handle this. That's when the journey takes on a whole new meaning. That's when Paul steps up to speak to the crew. And I'm going to ask you before I read it to you, who's in charge here anyway? Paul, a guy in chains? No, no, he's on a journey. He's on God's journey. Verse 21, no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me. I told you he was going to do what I told you so moment. Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. The prisoner of the ship has just called a team meeting. The prisoner of the ship, the man who has no authority, has just called all 275 of them into a meeting. And here's how I I look at the story. Listen, Listen carefully. In my perspective, God has just assembled 275 people for this preacher of righteousness to tell about Jesus. And guess what? They all are going to listen. Because you know what? They got nowhere to go. They got no hope. No one's going to leave the service early. They're going to listen. Verse 22. Here's Paul. He's got a captive audience. Take courage. He's looking at these people who have lost all hope. Take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God, of the God whom I belong, an angel of the God of whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me on this ship. Makes you wonder what they're thinking while he's saying this, right? And he, the angel, said to me, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God, in his goodness, has granted safety To all the other people on the ship with you. Whoa. That's big. So take courage. Paul looks at the crowd, says, take courage. For I believe God, it will be just as he has said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. He knows the future. 
Paul says, an angel came to me last night. Nobody saw the angel except Paul. An angel came to me last night. He told me. And I wonder at the crowd, he knows the future? Is that possible? He has hope. And that crew has no hope except his. You see what's happening? Hopelessness has a single light burning in hope. Everybody has lost all of their hope except one guy. And that one guy has a word from God. The ship's going to be wrecked, but no one's going to die. Here's my question. And it applies then and it applies today. Here we go. Listen. Will they put their hope in the words of God's apostle? Will they put their hope in the words of God's apostle? You know, most of the New Testament was written by God's apostle, Paul. Would you put your hope in the words of God's apostle? Will they on the boat put their hope in the words of God's apostle? All hope is gone, and then Paul reveals a word from God. Who's in charge here anyway? You ever have anybody come to you and they say, okay, I got to tell you something, but I don't know how to say it, so I'm going to do, I got good news and I got bad news. That's usually when I think, "Uh uh-oh, this is really bad, and you're trying to make it look good, Right? Let me give you an example. What if, what if the elders came to me this, this past week and said, uh, Terry, uh, attendance has been up remarkably the last two weeks. That's the good news. The bad news is you were gone both of those weeks. <laughs> <laughs> or what if, what if, what if, what if the elders come to me and said, you know what, that Israel trip was so successful that we're, we've, we've met and we've decided we're going to send you on another trip to Israel maybe next year. And that's the good news, but we're waiting for the next war to break out. That'd be bad news. By the way, that was a joke. They didn't really say that. So here's the Apostle Paul, and he's looking at these 275 guys, and he says, I got some good news and I got some bad news. The good news is, everybody, you're going to survive this. The bad news is, the ship is going to sink. Would you believe him? I had an angel last night, and he came and he told me the details. Would you believe him? The angel of God has revealed this to me. The unstoppable word of God has come to me, and it doesn't just affect me. Paul says the miracle is God in his mercy, in his goodness, has granted safety. Not just to me, because I have the glory in me, But because I've got the glory in me, he's going to save all of you all at the same time. The unstoppable word of God will affect everyone on the ship. I don't know about you, but I'm moved by that sentence. The unstoppable word of God. It'd be one thing if God said, there's going to ship, is going to sink, and you'll be the lone survivor. No, God's not going to do that, is he? They're all going to survive. Can I stop in the story for a moment and say something to all believers in the room today? And I'm going to be careful when I say all believers in the room today. We are all, we are all going to experience several shipwrecks in our journey. I'm talking to believers. I'm not talking to unbelievers. If you're a believer in Christ, I can give you a positive true word today. In Christ, every one of us are going to experience several shipwrecks in our life, but you will all survive.
He promised. On the last day, you will survive. It's a promise. Now, what's that do to you? Now, now if you're in the room today and you're not a believer, I can't say that to you. In fact, I'll tell you the truth. If you're not in Christ, you're going to also experience shipwrecks, but you will not survive. He will not raise you on the last day. But he will raise his people on the last day. The word of God has come to us just as clear as the word came to Paul in the midst of that storm. In fact, I want to to go to Mark chapter 13, and I want to read what Jesus says about a storm that's coming. It's real. I just don't know the timing. He says this, verse 7, and when you hear of wars and threats of wars, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. There's, there's a storm coming. Ladies and gentlemen, I am telling you, there is a horrendous storm coming. Unlike anything that's ever happened on planet Earth. But he said, don't panic. Why? Because in Christ, I know what Paul knew on that ship. I'm going to survive this thing. He's going to raise me on the last day. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Jesus said nations will go to war against nations and kingdoms against kingdom. There's going to be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will stand trial before governors and kings. Why? Because one reason, because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all the nations. But when you are arrested and when you stand trial, don't worry in advance what to say. Just say what God, say what the glory inside of you tells you to say. Say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the glory inside of you will be revealing truth and showing you that which is to come and giving you words to speak. It'll be the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, a brother will betray his brother to death. And a father will betray his own child. What is this storm? What what is this storm that a brother betrays his brother and a father betrays his child? And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you. Why? Because you're my followers. But the one who endures to, say this out loud. The one who endures to the end will be saved. There won't be a person in this room and will be able to say, I didn't know. Because you do know. That's as clear as clear gets. I know what's coming. 
God was working every part of that storm that the apostle Paul was in for good. Do you believe that? It's a journey. He's going to Caesar, but God's working every part of that storm toward good. They will all hear the gospel that can save them on the last day. They're all going to hear a message that has the power to raise you from the dead on the last day. Tell me what's bigger than that. God's working a storm for good. Would they have ever listened to Paul any other way? Would Paul have ever got them to come to his church? No, but he's working all things together for good. In a storm, God is working every part of our storm. I look around the room today, and I know some of you personally have gone through horrendous storms in your life. And nobody likes a storm. I don't like storms, but I got a word of truth. God is working every part of our storms for good. Somebody say hallelujah. He doesn't abandon us in the midst of the storm. He's taking the pieces of our circumstances in our life, and he's drawing something wonderful out of it. The one who believes and endures to the end will be saved. Why? Because the journey belongs to God. Because we belong to God. He's in charge. The storm is your chance to tell them about Jesus. And yes, I get it. Some are going to listen and some are not going to listen. That's not my responsibility. It's too big for me. It's too big for me. But I have to tell them as if they will listen. Back to the storm at sea, back to the journey. Verse 27, about midnight on the 14th night of the storm. 14 nights, whoa, at sea. 14 nights. Whew. After the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. Don't, don't, don't read over that. Suddenly, the sailors thought, let's get out of here. They tried to abandon the ship, but Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay on board. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. The prisoner is now in charge. Do you see what God does? You see what a word of truth from the glory does? The prisoner is in charge. Who's doing this? Verse 33, just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your head will perish. Wow, that's an astonishing remark in a storm that's been 14 days deep. Not a hair of your head will perish. Then he took some bread and he gave thanks to God before them. In front of them, he thanked God. And he broke off and he, a piece and he ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and they began to eat. All 276 of us who were on board 
After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. They have put their total hope and trust. Listen to me. In this scene, I see something. They have put their total hope and trust in the apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul. 276 souls having a prayer meeting in a storm. Who's in charge? Two weeks, no food, no hope. And then someone has the audacity to say, not a hair on your head will be missing. What does he know? Who does he know that he could make such a claim? But he says this. Now understand, in this scene, the sailors were trying to get off the boat. And Paul says, but you got to do it God's way. If you think you can do it your way in the storm. Listen, church, this has great value for us in the room today. In the storm, there's going to be a storm. You've got to do it God's way. Clear instruction was given about God's way. Everybody stays on the ship, everybody lives. If they get off the ship, they're going to die. You will surely die. You got to do it God's way. Stay on the ship. You must follow the words and direction of God's apostle. You must. Ladies and gentlemen, the storm is coming. The storm is here. When you're in the storm, you must follow the words of God's apostles, the teachings of the New Testament. It can't be your way of surviving the storm. You survive the storm God's way, following God's word. They throw their food overboard. And they trust a prisoner. Verse 39. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline. But they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could go to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. Why? Because that's what Roman soldiers do. That's their job. Verse 43, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul. So he didn't let them carry out his plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to the shore. 276 people, favorably disposed. (laughs) Captain Julius... You know what those Roman soldiers are naturally going to do? Because if your soldier, if your prisoner escapes, you die. Right? You die. That's the punishment. But they didn't kill them. Who's in charge here? Can I say, it's even good to hang out with a man of God. Ask those other prisoners. You want to talk about keeping good company? It's a good idea just to hang out with somebody who walks with God. Everyone escaped. No one was lost because they were with the Apostle Paul. Listen, I am not making Paul out to be their Savior. I'm not. It is the Holy Spirit inside of Paul that's saving them. It is Christ. The journey. 
You're on one right now, whether you know it or not. 276 souls on a journey, and only a handful were believers. Some of the unbelievers were in chains and some were free, but they were all lost and without hope until they heard a word from God's apostle. They heard a word. You don't have to die. And there's something in this room today that lines us up with that ship. We were all lost and we were all without hope until we heard a word from God's apostle. You know what the word is? Listen, you don't have to die. You can survive the storm, but you got to do it God's way. There is a way, there is a truth, and there is a life. But you got to do it His way. There's only one way to escape death. A word of hope in the midst of a great storm. Truth in a storm. Hope in a storm. The revelation of a glorious future beyond. On the other side of this storm. It's a terrible storm. But on the other side of this storm is something glorious. I close today with a verse that has greatly affected me on my journey. It is a word of God given through the angel to Paul during the storm. Let me read it to you. Verse 24. And I'll explain why this particular verse has great personal meaning to me in my journey so far. Verse 24. And he, the angel, said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. Now, here's why that has personal application for me. Before I went into the ministry, I was in the business world, and I lived on airplanes. I mean, I did. I was a million miler with Delta and a half a million miler with Northwest Airlines before they merged. In other words, I've flown one and a half million miles before I came into the ministry. And I used to I, and I've had several close encounters on airplanes. In fact, one time I was flying into Cincinnati. The pilot comes on the, the loudspeaker and he says, we have a problem. Everyone will assume the crash position. Our landing gear will not lock. So they went, unloaded all their fuel, went out and pulled the lever. All the fuel was dumped. And when we, he said, when we come into Cincinnati Airport, we will probably, the gear will collapse and we will be on the belly of the plane. Fire trucks will be there to make sure they put out the fire. Have a safe flight. <laughs> so here we are in the back of the plane. Everybody's been over double. Like that's going to help you when that thing hits the ground. So we come in, and, and sure enough, as we're getting ready to land in Cincinnati, there's fire trucks traveling alongside of us as we're coming down the runway with that foam stuff to try to put out the fire. But the landing gear held, and we were safe. L listen, here's why I say that. When I would get on a plane during those mil million and a half miles, here's what I would pray. I would pray this verse in this way. Lord, I don't know if there's another believer on this plane. But there's one. And I don't just ask you to give me protection today. I ask you to protect everybody on this plane today. And I went 1.5 million miles with that prayer. It's a dandy. <laughs> I just came back from Israel. 
It's a dandy. I still believe that verse is true. It's not, it's not that just God cared about Paul. He loved Paul. But he loved those 275 people around Paul too. And he wanted to save all of them. He doesn't want to just save a few of them. God called Paul and God called me. And God's calling you into a journey. It's a great adventure. Yes, there's going to be storms. Yep. But he's in charge of the storms. And his mercy even protects people that are close to his children. That storm couldn't kill Paul. And the soldiers in the midst of the storm, they couldn't kill Paul. Why? The storm didn't kill the 275 people on the ship with Paul. Why? The soldiers didn't kill the other prisoners on the ship that day. Why? Who's in charge here anyway? Who's in charge of that journey? Who's in charge of your journey? Paul was on a journey. And at the end of that journey, what was he doing? He's going to Rome. Why? He's going to stand trial. At the end of Paul's journey was a trial. And so are we. We're on a journey. Everybody's going somewhere. And when our last day is over, we will stand trial before God. For everyone will stand before God. And you will give an account and I will give an account with what I have done with that which I have received. There is a storm that precedes the trial before the judge. Paul had a storm before the trial. You and I are having storms before the trial. It is the storm of our journey. It is in the storm of our journey that the Word of God through the Apostle Paul gives us hope and sets us free. Don't miss this word of truth. Listen, I'm going to read it one more time. Romans 8, 28. For we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. But I got a question. What if you don't love God? God works everything together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But you got to ask the question, what if you don't love him? Then he's not in charge of your journey. You are. You are. God causes everything in the journey to work together for good. If, if you accept your call of God and his purpose for your life. But if you reject his call and if you reject his purpose, your journey will be alone. Paul was not alone on that ship. God was with him on that ship because God's working all things together for good for those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose. But if you're on that ship, if you're on a journey and you are not belonging to him, You are all alone. And you will enter eternity all alone. By yourself. In the darkness and a storm that never ends. You don't have to die. That's the message of Paul. That's the message of Christ. 
you can survive the storm. And now you know the truth. And the truth can set you free. One last thing I want to do today. I want to read to you a warning from Jesus about a storm that's coming in front of every one of us in this room. I read it part of this yesterday at the men's prayer breakfast. We had a men's breakfast yesterday. Seventy-three men shared a meal together yesterday. And I stood back and I thought, you know what? God changed the world with 12 guys. What would he do with 73 men who would make their life's purpose to be followers of Christ? But I want to tell you, here's the message. It's a warning. And I'm really serious and I'm very literal in reading this today. Jesus says, this storm's coming. And I believe this storm is near. Luke 21. Then he, Jesus, gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear. Did you get that? It's going to happen. The current heaven and the current earth, as we know, the atmosphere surrounding our planet and this planet are going one day to disappear. But my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Are you hearing me? This is not a localized storm. That day will come upon every person living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray. Pray what? Pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors. What coming horrors? There is a storm coming like has never been known on earth before. In fact, Jesus says, unless the number of days in that storm were reduced, there would be no human life on the planet remaining. Pray that you would be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Pray. That day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Heaven and earth are going to disappear, but the Word of God will never disappear. I want to ask you a question. Everybody in the room today, would you please answer honestly to yourself, are you ready for that storm? It's coming. You're not going to be able to say, I didn't know. Because yes, you did know. Yeah, you do. The journey will pass through the storm. If you're in Christ, you will pass through the storm. You will survive the storm that Jesus is talking about. If you are in Christ, you will survive this storm. You will pass through this storm. The resurrection cures this storm. Do you deny the storm? I look around the room today and I like sometimes just gauge the audience's response. Do you deny this storm's coming? Paul looked at that group of people on that ship and said, 
I see troubles ahead. Something inside of him was telling him, it's close. Something inside of me today is telling me, it's close. I don't know the day and I don't know the hour, but I can tell you that the glorious Holy Spirit is convicting me to tell you, you had better prepare yourself for this storm. And in all likelihood, sitting in this room today are people who will not survive that storm. Why? Because you refuse to do it God's way. You refuse to deny yourself, take up a cross and follow him, even though the only way you'll survive is following him. People hear me preach something like this and say, I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation. I know when people hear me preach like this, they think, yeah, he's, he's, he's a little over the edge. Not if it's true. Not if it's true. Because I'm going to tell you, the reality is we're all on a journey and we're all on a boat and our boats are sinking. Everybody here is dying. Whether Jesus' return is imminent or whether your grave is in your future, everybody has the same end. But you don't have to die. There's a resurrection into eternal life through Jesus Christ. And either you are saved or you are lost. There is no neutral. And today I'll ask you one last time, if the storm comes this afternoon, what Jesus described... Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living upon the earth. But pray that you'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Pray. If the storm comes this afternoon, will you survive the storm? And if you walk out that door today, knowing the answer, knowing the answer to that question is no. It's on you. It won't be on me. It won't be on me. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that today your word will not return void, but it will accomplish everything that you have planned for it to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation's open. Let's stand.